Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You want to finish well? You want to exalt Christ in your life and your death? Well, prepare for that. Why? How? Keep investing in people. Keep investing in people. Saul did it from time to time. And in his death, we saw that because some men risked their life to be at his funeral. I'd sure like people at my funeral to stand up and say, he sacrificed and gave and impacted my life. live in a death-avoiding culture, and yet finishing well is one of the most impactful ways we can leave a legacy for generations to come. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is continuing a sensitive message on the death of King Saul. There is so much we can learn from the triumphs and mistakes in Saul's life, and yet this is not a comfortable topic to address. Please note, we're talking about suicide in today's message based on the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Here's Pastor Mike. Verse number five of 1 Samuel 31 shows us a second suicide. This one, I think, is for different reasons. If you note the context, and if you know anything about what armor bearers do, you'll know this just wasn't some golf caddy who carried around, you know, swords for the king. If you know about ancient armies, the armor bearer was the chief strategist. He was the chief warrior. He was the guy at the banquets with the uniform with all the medals on his chest. This guy was a proven brave warrior. He was someone who knew the implications of the king lying dead on Mount Gilboa. He knew the implications when all the heirs to the throne, or at least all the fighting heirs to the throne, all the mature heirs to the throne were laying dead on Mount Gilboa. King is dead. The king's sons are dead. We lost the battle. They'll gloat about it. It'll be terrible. We'll be the laughing stock of angels. They'll come in and attack us on the southern borders now. Mm, I got nothing to live for. It ain't worth it. I could go on living, but I don't want to. And so the text says in verse number five, when the armor bearer saw these things, he recognized Saul was dead. Look at it, bottom of verse five. He too fell on his sword and died with him. If Saul died without courage, and we need courage to finish well, and the armor bearer died without hope, then you need to note it well. If we're ever going to please God with the way we finish this life, we should never, ever lose hope. Don't ever lose hope. If God has kept you alive for one more day, even if it's in the hospital, we say there is hope. And if you want to think of the big picture, there's hope beyond the grave. Obviously, our theology tells us that, and we need to come to grips with that fact that when I cross that threshold as a follower of Christ, I enter the very presence of God. No condemnation, no purgatory, no judgment, none of that. I'll come into the presence of God. All my works will be evaluated, but I'm not going to hell, and I'm not going to suffer the wrath of God. I'll be embraced in the kingdom. So there's hope even the day after I die. There's great hope and anticipation, but even through the process. If I'm alive for one more day, you know what? There's a reason God's got me here. And Paul said it. He says, if I die, I want to have sufficient courage to die well. He says, if I live on, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. 
I'll have some fruitful job here among you. I'll do something positive. If God keeps me alive for one more day, even if it's in prison, he goes on in that book to talk about the fact that I've even been, been able to share with all these Roman guards. Isn't that fun? I mean, they're attached to me. Here I am in the, in the dungeon, and I get to share Christ. They're, you know, they're a captive audience. He starts winning people to Christ in prison. When I came to this church 11 years ago, I was hired by a guy named Denver Clark who was the senior pastor of the church. I came on as the associate pastor. It was about a month after I got here. He calls me into his office. He'd just gotten back from the doctor, gave him results on some tests, and he says, Mike, I hate to tell you this, but the doctors gave me 12 months to live. Terminal bone cancer, and I'm not going to make it. He lasted more than 12 months. He lasted 18 months from that meeting. But I remember being by his bedside through all these tests and all these treatments in his home, ultimately in the oncology ward at Saddleback Hospital, sitting there day after day after day as he lost more and more of his consciousness, as he was unable to speak, and all these things took place. And if you've been through this with someone you love, you know what this is like. But every day that he lived... And every day that he could communicate with me, there was a sense in his heart that he was there for a reason. And you can probably still go up and ask the nurses about this guy. Because every day he thought, I'm here for a reason. God has left me on earth for a reason. And even in the worst of circumstances, he said, you know what? I got hope. Not only do I have hope that when I finally die, I'm going to meet Christ. And that's what I've been living for. But you know, every day I'm here in this hospital, I got a job to do. And even if it was just pulling me close to his, his mouth so he could tell me in my ear, keep that church out of trouble, you know? Give me these little insights on how to deal with this church. He knew he had a job. Some people give up hope so quickly. That's gone. This is gone. And I know some of it I can't even imagine the personal pain involved. And I recognize it. And I can understand that you're tempted to be hopeless when a spouse of 35 years or 45 years or 55 years passes away and you think like the armor bearer, it's not worth living anymore. But if God has got you on earth and you're still breathing, there is hope. There is hope for you to be productive, to do something significant for the body of Christ. And if ultimately God leads you through that threshold, what, what ultimate hope we have after we pass through it? Jot this reference down, go home and study it some other time, but the book of Lamentations. If you know anything about the English language, that's not a book you want to read if you want to get charged up for the day, right? Lamentations. Obviously not in a good mood when he wrote it. But the prophet Jeremiah was telling about the terrible things that had happened in Jerusalem. Everything was in his mind from human perspective was as bad as it could be. Foreign armies had marched in, knocked down the walls. Foreign armies had come in and desecrated the temple and the holy place. The prophets and priests were being killed and he sat there weeping, often called the weeping prophet, writing the lament, the book of Lamentations. And in the midst of all this pain, as it begins in chapter three, he says in verse number one, I know anguish and I know pain, I know bitter gall and I know the wrath of God. He said, I'm well acquainted with pain. But by the middle of that chapter, in Lamentations chapter 3, birthed in the midst of all this dark despair, he says, yet will I have hope. He says, because of your great love. Next verse. He says, we're not consumed. He says, so great is your compassion toward us. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your 
faithfulness. Now, if the armor bearer could have spent a few minutes with Jeremiah just before he fell over on his sword, Jeremiah could have said, I know the pain of defeat. I know the pain of loss. I know what it is to see your loved ones die. But you know what? If I contemplate the reality of God keeping me on this planet for one more day, showering love on me just by allowing me to live, I can convince you that there is no place for you taking your life. This is a serious part of this message. And I know it doesn't apply to most of you. But we've just seen two out of the six suicides in the entire Bible take place in just a few verses. And it would be foolhardy for me to think that some of you haven't thought about it. Statistically, 30,000 people in the United States take their life every year. 400,000 seriously attempt a suicide. And three times that many seriously figure out how they're going to do it. They contemplate it with severity. So statistically, in a group this size, there is a handful of people here that have thought about it. There are some here that will attempt it. And statistically, and God forbid, there might be one or two of you that will actually do it. Let me talk to you for just three minutes, parenthetically. Suicide is never an option. There's never an option for the Christian because it denies the presence of God in my life. Because the Bible says His grace is sufficient. What's that mean? That His presence in my life to never leave and His promise to never leave me or forsake me is a reality that I need to learn to tap into. And the courage to live should be something I'm exercising. And the hope to live ought to be evident in the fact that God loves me. And if we didn't connect with that in our music, we weren't listening. Those are the truths we need to focus on. Oh, the temple can be destroyed. The walls can be broken down. The king can be dead. The king's sons can be lying slain. But yet will I have hope. What does that mean? There's a reason to live today. I've watched a man die well. I've watched a man teach me how to pass through this life into the next. And he did it with courage and he did it with hope. And I know that even in a hospital bed, if I'm pumped full of morphine, I'm on my last leg, I'm there for one more day for a reason. And there's a reason to keep living. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning and I apologize for the rest of you that would never even contemplate this, but for the few of you that would, you and I need to tap into the presence of God and the mercies of God because it's the presence of God that gives me courage. It's the mercies of God that gives me hope. Those concepts need to be explored in a way we've never explored them when we're sitting there thinking about how we might do it. It's never an option for the Christian. Don't. Talk. Make promises. Focus on the attributes of God. Recognize the mercy of God, the presence of God. If you need help with that, we'll talk. But don't do it. It's a bright spot in this passage. Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> Bottom of this passage, beginning in verse 11. This part applies to everyone. Applies to all of us. It's a bad scene. You know it was. But note verse 11. It says that the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. Now, if that rings a bell, it's because we've heard of this town before. It's a little town about a day's journey to the east of the Jordan River. 
It'd take a while to get to Beshan. If you were in a hurry, you could get there, I suppose, in a night, which we're going to see actually happens. But there were some people there, and they're described in a certain way in verse number 12. There was a group of valiant men who journeyed through the night to Bethshan. They took down these headless corpses that hung on the walls of this Philistine outpost, the bodies of Saul and his son from the wall of Bethshan, and they went to Jabesh where they burned them. That's not the normal custom for disposing of bodies. It was not the way they disposed of it. Apparently, pardon the vividness of this, but the bodies were probably so mutilated or so putrefied at this point, this was a way to restore some kind of dignified burial. So once the flesh was burned off these bodies, pardon all of that, but in verse number 13, it says they took the bones and as best they could with dignity and grace, they buried them under a tamarisk tree. And if that's familiar, it's because Saul used to like to sit under the tamarisk tree in Gibeah and give orders to the troops. And so the best way they could, these valiant men of Jabesh Gibeah snuck into enemy territory when everyone else was retreating in the cover of darkness. They went up there with their daggers and cut off the things that were hanging these headless corpses on the wall and said, this is our king and these are the royal children and we're bringing them back and going to give them some kind of dignified burial. And then it says in the bottom of verse 13 that they fasted for seven days. They had a seven-day ceremony where they spent focusing on the profound loss that they had been through. The mourning period had started, the fasting to give them a decent burial. Now you say, why in the world would these guys do this? Turn, if you would, to chapter 11, same book. Refresh your memory as to one of the first things Saul did in his ministry. This is telling, and it's very interesting for us to note. Here was Saul's body. He's gone, he's dead, but his body hanging on a wall. And here was a group of men from a certain town that said, we're going to give this guy a decent burial and we'll risk our lives to do it. And while everyone else was going the opposite direction and stepping over dead Israeli soldiers' bodies, they walked up there and took those bodies off, took them back and gave them a decent burial. Why would they do that? Chapter 11 of 1 Samuel reminds us of the first events of Saul's kingship. After being anointed by Samuel, the Bible talks about the Spirit of God coming on Saul. And he does a few things in his kingship that are noteworthy and honorable. And one of them was that when this foreign army attacked the city of Jabesh Gilead, he says, get the troops together and under the authority and power of God's spirit and through the strength and courage of God's spirit, he marches out there and defends them. Look at the scenario, verse number nine. It says, they, that is Saul and his soldiers, told the messengers who had come from Jabesh Gilead, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. It's done, man. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. And that's what happened. Saul marches up with his newly formed army and routs the foreign enemy, and the Jabesh-Gilead people go nuts. This is the greatest guy in all of Israel. This new king idea is great. We sure like King Saul. Saul selflessly risked his, risked his life to serve these people, noted it wasn't as common or as often as it should have been. And though he proved to be a coward often in his life, this was one highlight. He served selflessly and invested in the people of Jabesh Gilead. And when he had died and was in need of some formal dignified departure, these guys risked their life to give it to them. Now to the super spiritual among us, this may seem like a crass way to put this truth. 
But you got to recognize your funeral will be an indicator in some degree of the life that you lived. That may sound odd and morbid and weird and strange and humanistic, but let me say, I've done enough funerals and been to enough funerals and preached enough funerals to know that there are some funerals that I stand up on this platform and the place is loaded to the rafters and the cry rooms are filled and people are in here saying, that guy made a difference in my life. That guy served the body of Christ. He was my Sunday school teacher. He was a small group leader. He served us. Man, he made an impact on us. He sacrificed for us. And they're there to pay their respects to that departed person. Oh, they're gone, I know. You may try to minimize the funeral service, but it is a time, as we'll see in 2 Samuel, where godly people reflect on and ponder and thank God for how that one life was used by God to affect and impact them. And I've seen the funerals where people are just saying, that was a servant. But it's sad for me to relate to you that I've been to funerals, sometime in this auditorium, sometimes at the, at the funeral home, sometimes at the gravesite where I'm there dressed up in my suit and we got a casket and we got the hearse and I'm going, where is everybody? I'm embarrassed to say I've been to some funerals that I've been called upon to do where I didn't even know the person and no one shows up. That may sound real crass, real worldly, real humanistic, trying to judge your life based on your funeral. But let me say this, when you grow in favor with God, God directs your attention to serve people. And oftentimes, like in the life of Christ and also in the life of Samuel, of whom both the Bible said they grew in favor with God and man. And when you serve God faithfully and risk your life and give of yourself to invest in other people, guess what happens? When your life is over, people miss you. Now, is that the goal, to get people to miss you when you're gone? No, it's not the goal, but it's the byproduct of living a godly life. And I wonder what your funeral will be like. Will there be people there that say, man, that person impacted my life. They served me. Children, grandchildren, people in your church, friends that you invested in, co-workers where you shared more than just an office. You shared your life with them. Because, you know, your condo and your RV and your boat in the harbor will not show up for your funeral. You're aware of that. You invest in things, you invest in real estate, you invest in your toys, you know, that's all gravy and nice and fun. But it's not the kind of investment that makes for a good finish. Finishing well. The people of Jabesh Gilead gave some semblance of dignity to this death because Saul invested in them. Number three on your outline, you want to finish well? You want to exalt Christ in your life and your death? Well, prepare for that. Why? How? Keep investing in people. Keep investing in people. Saul did it from time to time. And in his death, we saw that because some men risked their life to be at his funeral. I'd sure like people at my funeral to stand up and say, he sacrificed and gave and impacted my life. I don't want people saying, who? What? Yeah. He had a nice job. He had a good yard. He had a nice lawn. He had a good summer home, but he seemed to be into himself. Saul was into himself a lot of the time, but there were those moments. You want to go out well? I'm not talking about trying to please men. We're not here to please men, but when you please God, you'll focus on serving men, and when you do, you'll be missed. That's not the goal, but that's the byproduct. 
Now I read a stack of commentaries on this chapter. And I was really, frankly, surprised at how many people saw no problems with what was going on here. They empathized with Saul's suicide. They empathized with the armor bearer's suicide. They said, well, what can you expect? I mean, what did he have to look forward to? A lot of pain and humiliation. What about this armor bearer? What was he going to do? Try and make friends with David? And Oh, we understand it. And it was all understandable and all explained away and all excused. And I thought to myself, is that really all we can expect from the people of God? And my mind was drawn to Littleton, Colorado, back in April, where I watched at least two 17-year-old girls face death with incredible courage because of their relationship with Christ and with incredible hope. And their funerals, by the way, happened to be huge. And I thought if a 17-year-old suburbanite girl in the middle of Colorado in a land of prosperity can die with courage and hope and fruit, then I expect that of King Saul. I'm not letting him off the hook. And by God's grace, I expect more of us. By God's strength and with his power, may we be able to no matter what threshold God takes us through, no matter how he writes the script for our final chapter, may we face it with courage, with great hope, and with fruit. Let's leave behind some people that we impacted. You do that, I guarantee you'll finish well. And we won't finish like King Saul. May that be our ambition, I hope. Let's pray. God, what a difficult subject that we are reticent to talk about even more reticent to seriously ponder. Difficult for us to envision how we will go. None of us know. But God, you have all of our days numbered. You have a plan for us. Like the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, help us to really want to finish the race, considering our life worth nothing, only that we would finish the race, the course that you've set out for us. If the last few months or the last few years or the last few days are difficult, give us your grace to have the courage to face it, even in our death. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're listening to pastor, author, and teacher, Mike Fabares, and this is Focal Point. Well, we've covered a sensitive and possibly even triggering section of Scripture today as we wrap up our study on 1 Samuel, and it may have stirred up some difficult memories from your own life. As much as we aim to discuss these topics with care and compassion, we never shy away from teaching what is in the Bible. It's there for a reason. And here at Focal Point, we believe learning from good and bad examples in God's Word empowers and equips us to, as Pastor Mike said in his prayer, have the courage to face the inevitable difficult days. Now, if you believe in our straightforward approach to Bible teaching, would you step forward today to support this work? We desire for the plain truth of God's Word to reach every heart and home. And through your generosity, we can continue delivering Pastor Mike's expositional teaching by internet, podcast, app, and hundreds of radio stations nationwide. Donate by calling 888-320-5885 or by going online to focalpointradio.org. And when you give a gift today, we'll say thanks by sending you a copy of a helpful book written by Nate Pickowitz called How to Eat Your Bible, A Simple Approach to Learning and Loving the Word of God. Maybe you want to know God's Word better. 
but you don't like reading. Or maybe you find the long books and strange names overwhelming. Whatever the case, How to Eat Your Bible will help you cultivate an appetite for lifelong study. You'll also become encouraged to pursue God's Word by learning how other Christians throughout time maintain this crucial practice. Request your copy by calling 888-320-5885 or by going online to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And another way to support us is to tell us how you listen to the program. We'll thank you with a free Bible Timeline pamphlet. Simply call 888-320-5885. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Thursday when we begin an in-depth study of 2 Samuel right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.